Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? I'm in a really reminiscent mood. Why is that? Well... The word that's been stuck in my head for the last week is memorable. And that is because I was just at FIAC in Paris. Mm. and That's an art fair, right? That's an art fair for people that don't know that. Mm -hmm. Um, And because it was like a big art thing, there Mm -hmm. were obviously a lot of people that loved art there and Mm -hmm. they kept walking up to me the whole time saying, oh my God, you're the guy from the podcast. I love your podcast in many different accents. So we had people from like South Korea. Were they putting them on or were they... No, babes. They oh, were actually from accents. different countries. Oh, okay, right, right. So there were people from like I met an Icelandic person. <laughs> I met um, a Russian a person. No, it's hilarious though. I had no idea we had all these international listeners. Anyway, and one guy in particular who was French uh, was trying to say that he wanted to speak to me at Freeze Art Fair, mm. and he couldn't come up to me because he thought I was intimidating. You are. And then, but he didn't use the word intimidating. He said memorable. So he was saying to me like, I couldn't come up to you because you're just so memorable. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And then at the end, when he left, he said. Um, I'm so glad I did get the guts to speak to you because you're totally unmemorable. <laughs> and, then, and then he walked off and I was like... So then it got me thinking. Then it, oh, it made Russell oh laugh. Um, so then it got True. me... <laughs> so then it got me thinking and I politely said, thank you, thank you. And then my friend Gigi, who was waiting for me, I told her, I and she was Gigi. just like, why didn't you correct him? But um, then it got me thinking about what's memorable to me. Mm. And then you mentioned we were going to interview the guest today. Yes. And I've had a few times in my life where I'd met him before and yep. each time has been very memorable. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is obviously he's in a global, was sorry, in a global uh, rock pop band. Mm-hmm. And there's a song called Day Sleeper that he wrote, which often comes back to me. Um, and I think I spoke to Thomas about it before, actually. But for some reason, I get the lyrics quite a lot in my head. And there was something about that song that was very significant to me because of the idea of otherness and like the idea of someone sleeping through the day and they're not part of the normal society of everyone going to work and waking up and eating lunch and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then to me, it kind of was this metaphor for otherness and queerness and kind of like growing up feeling different to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So for me, that song, along with Pet Shop Boys' Home and Dry, they're the two songs that for some reason I sing to myself, like randomly a lot. And then I got a taxi journey once in New York with this uh, guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at Patti Smith's uh, exhibition and I jumped in a taxi with our guest and Douglas Copeland and had the most surreal taxi journey because I didn't know either of them. And we were just chatting and then he introduced me to Patti as we arrived. Wow. And it was just like totally memorable. What was the exhibition then? What, what it was, was a solo it? exhibition of her photographs. Wow. And I got invited by a curator that I didn't even know. And he was like, wrote to me out of the blue and just said, do you want to come and meet Patti Smith? And I was like, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. So I went to the dinner 
dinner and I ended up meeting our guest. Wow. So yeah, memorable was the word I've had in my mind. Rob. So we would like to welcome <laughs> Michael, Michael Stein. The original day sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Michael? I slept really late today, actually, and I feel good. Because we're in London now doing this fine. interview, and you're in London now at the moment. We're in London, and we're, this is not live, right? Is no, 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 no. I mean, no, no. we're alive, and that's a good thing. We're alive. Okay. Very much so. Yeah. We're very much alive, you and you can swear, and you can do anything you want. Yeah. Great. What we brings you to London? I'm here doing promotion uh, ostensibly for... Um, a record that came out 25 years ago called Monster by my former pop band, uh, R.E.M. And uh, we've repackaged it and put out this whole other thing. So um, I was here doing radio and TV and a bunch of interviews. But I also just had this book that came out. And I also just released my first ever solo single, which I didn't coordinate it to happen all at the same time. But as it turns out, it all happened at the same time. So I've been doing triple duty and not getting a whole lot of sleep. How, was, yeah, how has that been? Has that been exhausting? I'm really tired, yeah. Wow. But, I, but I look great. You do look, <laughs> Thank look you. fantastic. Thank you. My God. You also look very colourful. I'm loving your outfit today. Thank you. Well, He's this... wearing orange, Rob. I know, it's my favourite colour. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that. So that makes me happy. <laughs> I, I, I did a little bit of investigating myself. <laughs> Thanks. It's funny what you say about Day Sleeper because I actually wrote that character as a woman and then uh, my idea for the video for it, the directors were like, no. And they're from, they're Icelandic. And so I followed their lead. Oh, wow. And um, it might have been the same guy that approached you at FIAC. <laughs> <Who knows>? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I wound up uh, cast in the role of the lead character of that song uh, as myself or as, a, as some male version of me. But it's sweet. That, it's really sweet that, that, that you, that song, that song, um, 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 beckons uh, uh, otherness in, into your memory. That's yeah, beautiful. definitely. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, I love that song. It's really hard to sing. I don't know how you sing it in the shower. <laughs> well, he sings it in his head. Don't you? <laughs> yeah, I do sing it out loud sometimes. Do you? Yeah, I do often sing it to note? myself. Um, probably not. Sing a bit anymore. Now? No, babes. We'll, we'll um, <laughs> I used to be a singer as well, so it's like really embarrassing for me to like sing in front of Michael. <laughs> we'll get all warmed up and we'll do it later. Yeah, yeah another time, another time. But we're talking, we're talking about you doing the music video because mm. you are completely, you were completely across all the kind of parts of the music videos, like creatively. Yeah. That was something that was really important to you. Yeah, I did everything. Cre- I, d- I did everything creative. <laughs> I did everything visual for the band, yeah. except dress the guys. Um, uh, so all the all the graphic. I, I think I was. I think I was actually meant to be a graphic artist, and I failed at that. Um, but but I, I was able to kind of um, um, uh, funnel that that interest into the work that I did with REM. So all the videos, all the all the graphics, all the photographers, working with the video directors, working with the people that did films for the. For the live shows that we did, um, all the stuff that was that was uh, that was presented on stage, I did all of it. All the merchandise for thirty. Oh, really? Years. All the merch for thirty-one years. Yeah, it was a lot to oversee. So you was across all like what was being every printed single, on the t-shirt. Every single thing that you ever saw. Oh, we saw. just got some bread coming in for you. Yay, my bread! Thank you, bread man. Thank you, bread man. Here comes the bread. Um, that's fantastic. Left the, um, left the conversation. That is a lot of bread. That's, like, that's like a loaf. Just... Then, maybe I've actually done toasted and not toasted. Oh, I'm going to go for toasted. What are you going to go for? Detail. I'm going to go for toasted. You are. Oh, that's nice because they made the effort for that. Anybody else want to? So, what do you mean use a failed um, graphic artist thing? Well, I you started a, in George. I became a pop star instead. <laughs> right. So, uh, so if you hadn't been a pop star, do you think you would have definitely gone down the art route and become a visual? Artist or a graphics artist? Absolutely, I would have, I would have, I would have, um, I would have done photography, and I think I probably would have wound up doing uh, graphic design. Wow! Yeah. 
I what I found really interesting doing research for the interview was that I hear that when you write songs, you normally see it first in your mind. I do. And you see kind of pictures or almost like moving images that then become a song. So like Night Swimming, for example, would have been a vision you have almost that yeah. you then take and people kind yeah. of turn in. I love yeah. that phrase. Yeah. yeah. I have to ask, is my chewing too loud, Mr. Engineer? Or is it okay? It's okay. So I can chew I can chew. Hardly. Okay, I'm yeah, going to. The only really person that won't it. like it will be Luke Evans, the actor, because he's got a thing where he doesn't like the sound, and he came on our show, and then no, he did I it love himself. Luke. He's so great. No, he just turned forty, right? Yes, yeah. he did. That guy. But Luke actually ate on the show, and I was like, "You're doing what you don't like." It was hilarious. <laughs> what are those videos called that people put up on when they're kind of clipping with yeah. their long nails yeah, 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 on the yeah, keyboard yeah, 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 and then yeah, like chewing yeah. gum? I don't yeah. know what they're called, but they're horrific. It's become a thing. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, no, it's a condition. It's a fetish. No, but it was a thing. What's it called? ASMR. ASMR. Yeah. ASMR somehow entered into um, like consumer society in, in America. And I think they're doing, um, there was a, uh, what's it called? The big, um, I'll do this to my microphone. <laughs> it's, um, it's the big uh, sports event that involves football. And there's a, there's a part in the middle where um, sad performers get up and perform. Oh, the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, that's what it's yeah. called. Well, it's we're, not all sad, because I quite like Gaga's one. We're whispering now. Okay, sorry. I like Gaga's one. <laughs> I thought it was ludicrous. I like Gaga. <laughs> I'm going to fight for Gaga. <laughs> I actually like her. So do I, because yeah. I think I think it's good to have people who have good intentions within powerful populations. Yeah, yeah. she's a good talker, too. She really she she knows what she wants to say, and, and she goes for it. Uh, I like her. Good. As a force, I'm as a force out there. <laughs> <laughs> so this book that you've just brought out, this is the second yep. volume from a series of books, which is over 38,000 photographs, or th- over 38 years worth of photographs that you've accumulated yep. and now you're putting out in these volumes. How did the decision come about to do that? Why did you... I, I put out a book in 1997 or 98 mm-hmm. where Patti Smith had come back from... Her, her husband died. She moved back to New York and decided to start um, performing again. And um, Bob Dylan invited her to open for him on the road and for 10 dates, I think. And she told me about it. She said, do you want to come along for a couple of shows? I said, sure. So I jumped on the bus and I didn't get off. And I had my camera with me and I photographed the whole two weeks. Um, and then the idea was presented that I make a book out of these images. Now, there, if you find the book, if you're able to find it, it's more diaristic. It's more kind of, it's really just a diary of what happened. They're not great photographs. There's a few beautiful portraits, but it's really just kind of the, the kind of daily grind of performing. And then there's, you know, there's um, some special guests like Gregory Corso and Thurston Moore and Kim Gordon and people that came, um, Allen Ginsberg, people that came to see Patty perform or came to see the show. I put that out. I decided then and there that I was going to release um, a photo book a year for the rest of my life. Really? And, yeah. Uh, but it was 20 years before I managed to get the next one. <laughs> right. But you got 20 years of photography during that period. Yeah, yeah. So you take yeah. photographs every day, do you? I do. I, I pretty, I, because I don't, I, 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 I'm not, I don't write in a diary. I don't have a journal. Um, I have a schedule, which is kind of fascinating. I've kept all my schedules since 1984, I think. Would you publish them? No, they're ridiculous. But I'm, I like looking back and remembering, my God, that's that, that's that night that I had in, in Brussels with so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, where we got lost and someone lost their shoe and then we had to find a taxi but it was <laughs> raining. I, all these things come flooding back to me when I, mm-hmm. when I look at them. Wow. But, but the same happens with photography and photographs are just much, much more, for me, much more memorable of, 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 of a moment or a day or an event. 
Uh, I took pictures of my room. I told you about my hotel room here. They put me up in a normal room. I said, I don't need anything fancy. Just give me a room with a window that opens. I'll, I'll take the smallest room in the hotel. That's what I really want. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to be there anyway except to sleep. And they put me in the biggest suite, <laughs> the biggest suite that they have with windows looking out over all of London. And so I took pictures the whole time and I wow. have those to go back to. I have a kind of beautiful, uh, yeah, I'm not going to share it. No? No. But will you put these pictures in a volume in the next 20, in 20 years time? I can, the, the story I was about to tell you will wind up in the next book. Uh-huh. Okay, so we'll, we'll all buy the next book and then we'll find but it. But we've got to wait 20 years. But actually, well, I'll, tell the, I'll tell the story that I, I have to hold on to it now because it's, it's with someone who I love very much who just left us. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on to that one. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. So you've taken more than 37,000 photographs. That was like before the volume one. Oh, so I was right then. I, I said over 30 were, years, yeah. but there was that amount of photos. It's like, wow. Yeah, yeah. And I've actually been taking pictures since I was 14. So I'm 59 now. That's... Forty-five years, is that forty-four years of yeah. and that was your dad's Nikon. Yeah, which was which was nicked <laughs> when <laughs> no when way. I moved into the the I moved into a church with Peter Buck, my former guitar player, and Mike Mills, my former bass player, and Bill Berry, my former drummer, uh, when I was nineteen years old, and uh, someone broke in and stole the camera. No, and no a bunch way. of a bunch of weed and um, and a big jar of pennies. And we were so dirt poor that we actually had a jar of pennies. And they took our fucking jar of pennies, which was not very cool. The cops came. You know, was there anything else they were really looking for? We're like, no, sir. I think this is all that was taken. But my father had insurance on the camera, so he bought me another one at the age of 20. And that was the camera that I used. I still have it, actually. Yeah, I still, do you still use it. Do you still use the same In camera? fact, um, the images of Alexandru, who's here with me today, who you guys just met, yeah, uh, in the book were shot with that camera. So what's Alexandru's role with you? Does he work with you? No, we're friends. Oh, okay. He just happened to be in the same part of London that I was today, and he met me at a bookstore where I oh. signed a bunch of books. He was at Hatchards, and right? You were there. Yeah. I know. I was there because I came from Margate this morning, so I've moved by the seaside. Wow! And um, I came up on the train, and I said to Russ, "I haven't actually seen the I'd seen the volume one before, but I didn't own it, and then I hadn't seen the new book yet because it's just mm. come out." Mm. And I said, "I think we need to get it because I really want to have it." And mm. then I ran across London, and there was one store that had it, Hatchards. On Piccadilly. I get there, and I run up to the guy who's running the art department. And I'm like, "I'm doing an interview. I need to find this book, please." please, please have it. And he was like, who are you interviewing? And I was like, oh, Michael Sight. And he was like, but who are you? So we got in like a very deep conversation. And then you were upstairs signing your book. I was so upstairs was like, that very moment yeah, signing books. Bizarre. And then you texted me and said, uh, apparently you were just in the store, yeah. which was kind of like, but he actually what? He texted you saying, ha, 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 hat shards, which I really liked. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was good. So the funniest thing I thought about this experience of buying the book today, of books, plural, is mm-hmm. that they were signed. And I know that you also don't like your own handwriting. Yeah, your autograph or your signature. Yeah, Let me you... see how good I did. Okay. Because over the course of an evening, the, hand, <laughs> the, the signature can get pretty Why don't you janky. like your own... Do you like your own handwriting in general? That's a really just, good one. And it's just not your signature or your autograph? Or? Right, so volume one has a really good autograph. <laughs> you got two great ones. Wow. Oh, okay. Phew. Did what, did, what, did well, what did I get? What did I get? I hope I haven't got the well, shit ones. To, um, <laughs> I'll have to swap. <laughs> I happen to have brought the very same pencil, so we'll be able to... That one's very good. Thank you. And... Here we go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The big reveal. This is for not bad. Oh, Ooh, yes. I, I, I can tart it up a little for you. Can you just swap it over with Rob's book? No. <laughs> so why don't you like your autograph or your signature? I don't like my line. Uh, I, I started as a drawing and painting major. I'm, I failed miserably in philosophy and English literature. I can't read very well, and um, moved into the drawing and painting department of the art, uh, the um, art school at the University of Georgia um, as an 18 year old and. 
Um, I really just wanted to get laid and hang out with the kids who knew what espresso was and knew who the beat generation were. And Right. Can you and, explain the beat generation as well in a minute? We have to come back to Sure. That. And knew punk rock. And that, that was all those kids were in the, were in the, were in the art school. Mm-hmm. Um, I started with drawing and painting, and I'm just the world's worst painter. I can't paint to save my life. If the future of the world hinged on me painting something that was passable as a contemporary art piece, we would be fucked. <laughs> and, and along with that, I don't like my speaking voice, but I'm here with you because I like both you guys. And I don't like, I do love my singing voice, but I don't like my speaking voice. Most of us don't. And I don't like my signature. I just don't like my line. I, I don't think it, it doesn't feel authentic or genuine to me. So when you... uh, that's, but, but that's, that's touching on, you know, years of therapy that I never got. <laughs> and, um, my, um, my, um, um, yeah, compound issues uh, of insecurity, but uh, but I'm 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 self-aware enough to, to to know it and talk about it. When did you know you liked your own voice? Then you didn't like your speaking, singing voice. Your singing voice. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like it until. Let me think. Did you like it before you'd heard it recorded? No. Well, I did my first ever recording when I was nine. Right. No, wait. Hang on. No, I, let's back this up. Well, I wasn't nine. I lived in outside of East St. Louis, in Illinois. I was at least thirteen. Mm-hmm. Everyone had left um, the house, and my sister had a um, secretary's uh, uh, cassette recorder that um, secretaries would take dictation on. And I went up to her room. Um, I had a I had a cassette that had something on it. I don't know what, but I hit record and I yelled. I screamed for as long as the cassette um, played until it stopped, and that was my first ever recording. I listened back to it once, and now I wish I had. My God, I wish I had that cassette. Wow. But yeah, I think it was, I would have been 13 or 14 years old. And you liked it though? No, I, but I liked, I don't know what I was doing. I think I was, I think it was just some expression of puberty, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, um, isolation, who knows. <laughs> but but I, I think it was maybe the third album, the third R.E.M. album is when I listened to my voice and I went, okay, there's something here. And, but I, you know, we, it took several records for me to arrive there. And you like performing? I do love to perform. Yeah. 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 I like that exchange of energy between the audience and, and myself. And, um, and I miss it a little bit. I, the, the, the band, uh, disbanded in 2011 and I've, um, and I've been, I haven't performed since 2008 really. But so, this new single you just released, will you be performing that? No, not so much. Probably not. Really? I'm not, I'm not so interested or excited about the idea of touring. Right. And in order to break even, much less make money on, on that kind of venture, you kind of have to do more than one show. Would you do like a talk show and perform? Yeah, I've been asked. You've been actually, asked? Yeah, around the single. So there's a chance of that. But TV's really different, you know. You can fuck it up and, and stop, and they hate that, but you can start again. Right, right, right. So the new single, um, all the money that is raised from that, if people choose to purchase it, because you have a choice either to download it for free yeah. from michaelstipe.com, yeah. or you give money to charity for Extinction Rebellion, is that right? That's right. And so it's basically a fundraising um exercise as well as being a creative exercise which is really wonderful because it's helping help the world i guess um i hope so I yeah mean, I'm, I'm a member of extinction rebellion i'm, yeah, I'm a yeah. proud member and uh, i think it's i think it's one of the most exciting things that 2019 has has offered us so i bought it last night thank you and i've watched the video which you've made with an artist sam taylor johnson who's That's also right. become a global film director um and friend of ours as well who we love her very much i do too but um how did that come about that that collaboration but also the content in the film because it's an amazing short film it's incredible i'm so proud of it um, yeah. uh, i needed i needed something visual to go along with the single and and i wanted to package i wanted to bundle the single with um uh, a stencil um 
uh, a, a gif of, of a portrait of me, um, a, a lyric sheet um, that, I, that I did the graphic design on. It's really bad. <laughs> but, and, um, it's not bad, but it's not great. And um, I did it on a Mac. And, and, um, and then a video, but, you know, what, whatever a music video is in 2019. And I had ideas for what I wanted, but I couldn't think of how I could shoot it myself. And I couldn't think of someone who could do it for me. And then one night around 2 a.m., I was like, fuck, it's Sam. Sam, I know I can reach out to her, and I know that she'll be able to pull this together. So I texted her, and I said, she had done a video for my band's la- my former band's last record. She oh, did a really? video for a song called Uberlin, featuring her husband, Aaron Taylor Johnson, who's a movie star and actor, a really good actor. He is, yeah. And um, uh, Dancing Through the Streets of London. Beautiful piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, He's a really good dancer as well. He's a really good dancer, my yeah. God. Yeah, I've been doing this this whole thing where I, I, I ask people to dance for me and then I and then I compose to their movement. And Aaron and I have decided to do that together, although it's been a few years. So I need to I need to circle back and get him to dance for me. Well, wow. so he just does it like with no music. No, like I acapella. I, no, I did a I did a really shitty hundred and twenty BPM track that has really standard um like guitar and bass it's very very bad it's mm-hmm. very it's very very um, rudimentary intentionally because i wanted it to be a little bit um banal uh for the for the dancer to have to work around something that's not particularly inspiring mm-hmm. and do something uh with that and so it's this kind of very steady 120 bpm beat which was disco when i was growing up when i was a teenager it was the disco era and so that was important to me but uh, I give them that, and then I strip the music away, and I I just watch I watch what I have on tape, and um, pick a part of it. And and uh, there's a few actually. There's several images in the book mm-hmm. of um, of dan- of people that dance for me. Uh, Thibaut Lack is a is a uh, is a dancer. Um, would you would you put Casey these as Legler. performance art pieces? Would you say or Casey Legler is a performance artist who right. uses her body in in her work, and she was actually the first she was the first woman to be hired as a male model. At Ford Modeling Agency, ah, so she spearheaded the whole gender kind of post, post gender, um, the whole fluid uh, idea. Uh, wow! In in the in the fashion in the fashion industry, uh-huh. uh, but she's in there. Uh, she she did she did a, one of those dance pieces for me. Um. Th- so the new video is a, is a kind of portrait of a young girl. Oh yeah, I really went off there. Sorry. So yeah, I I, I texted Sam, and thank you for bringing me back. I texted Sam and. I said I need a, I need something to represent this new single, and she said absolutely I'll do it. And she had heard we were on vacation together this summer, so she knew the song, and she was thrilled to do it. And she delivered this incredible. I couldn't, I mean, I, I'm, I could cry talking about it. I couldn't imagine something that more captures the spirit and the um, intensity of the of the the narrative in the song. The character that I'm trying to portray in that song is beautifully, beautifully portrayed in this video. So I'm yeah. really thrilled with it. I recommend everybody watch it and download it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually was quite surprised when I heard the song because the title, for some reason, Your Capricious Soul, it made me think it was going to be like a ballad, like a kind of, you know what I mean? Like a slower, very sure. emotional song. For some reason, that's what it conjured up to me. And when I heard it, it was like really kind of poppy, happy, upbeat. Uh, yeah, it's an amazing track. Thank you. I'm really proud of it. Mm. Thanks. Well, there's more coming, so that's exciting. So I need you to clear up what the beat generation is. <clears throat> I, I hear that a lot, and you, um, you it was in correlation with William Burroughs, the novelist who you met at some point, and he was your queer 
grandfather. Godfather. Yeah. Godfather. And but he's part of the Beat Generation. Now, for me, the Beat Generation. What is that exactly? The Beats were a, a loose group of friends who were um, creative thinkers, artists. Um, they were kind of um, they were all white, actually. Now that I think about it, and all American, I think, and mostly male. And not at all straight, <laughs> as it turns out. They loved jazz, and they followed it, and they started kind of creating their own idea of jazz, but as as poets and, and writers. And I think I think the whole thing really, um, Allen Ginsberg to me would probably be the center of the beats, mm-hmm. because Allen had a certain cadence to his voice, a, a profound intellect, but a way of talking that is very easy to mimic. If you've ever been around someone who has a really strong personality and you find yourself talking like them or walking like them or eating like them or laughing like them, I think Alan had that effect on the people around him. Did you see it? You could actually see it, like the ripple of that. I I, re- I recognized it when I met Alan and hung out with him. Did you copy any of his traits? You goddamn right I did. Did you? What did you, what did you pick <laughs> well, up? Well, he had this... He had this um, uh, it's the cadence of the voice, and I, I can't do it now. I'm a really but big like imitator. a t- tonality of it, or it's, a... no? It's the way that he. It's the way that his. I think it's the way that thoughts came to him, and the way that he um, expressed himself. But also, he had this kind of rolling, lilting uh, aspect to his. You know, who, you know who it reminds me of weirdly, Edith Sitwell of all people. Okay, it's kind of the way Edith Sitwell um, read her own poetry when she did. Which uh, there are recordings of, aren't there? There are recordings of her yeah. in the 1920s. She hired They're amazing. A, she hired a guy to compose music on trash cans, and she sang through a megaphone. She was radical. And she, you know, she's, uh, uh, what's it called? A plant, plantagenet. I can only, I, I've never heard uh, the word. Plantagenet. Yeah, thank you. What does that mean, in fact? It's a religion, isn't it? Oh, no, I think it's, a, I think it's like. Like a pilgrim. She came from, she came from, um, she came from very, very well, a very wealthy and very renowned English family. Uh, okay. So she was like royalty kind of. It's like a trust fund kid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she would have been a trust fund kid in the yeah, 20s. Yeah. But, you know, she wound up, uh, you know, befriending the, the the beat generation of that time, which was, of course, Gertrude Stein and, and the whole the whole Paris salon kind of uh, kind of fell into her lap. Um, Pavel um, Chilichev, uh, she was madly in love with, apparently. He painted her many, many times. Mm-hmm. And he moved to America and, and, and fell in love with Charles Henry Ford. And lived out, I think, the rest of his life. And he's an amazing painter. Do you know his work? No. Chilichev. Um, Do you know it, Rob? I don't know. Pavel Chilichev. Yeah, um, he's incredible. What was it saying? A plantinogate was? Did you oh, I up? just looked it up, and it's mm. it was like a royal kind of Lineage English, of like, yeah, a like royal a royal lineage. house yeah. of England. It was a dynasty. Yeah, I think it says. Oh, An- that's a surname. Like Angevin or Anjou <clears throat> dynasty. And it reigned from 1154 until 1485. So, like the Tudors or something. I guess so. Yeah, but yeah. before that, probably even. Yeah, so she, so she, she was related to them. That we went as far back. I as think that. so. I, I don't wow. know why I associate her name with that word, but I do, and, I, and I, I'm embarrassed. I didn't, didn't know how to say it. How do you say it again? Plantinogate. Yeah, and her brother. I, mean, I might be saying it wrong, but <laughs> her brother's name was Osbert, and he was. They were these characters, and he, I think he was queer, and they were. He was, um, but he was this polarizing character. He was paint. He was, um, uh, he was, uh, uh, um, satirized in a in a book by Aldous Huxley at the time. I think it's called Those Barren Leaves. I'm pulling, really pulling this out of my ass. Mm. <laughs> uh, but but he's, this, he's this like unbelievable character and everyone knew when the book came out who, who it was. Of course, that was Osbert Sitwell and his, and his wacko sister, Edith. But, but anyway, Alan had that kind of voice that you just wanted to kind of be that. Uh, and then there was Kerouac, of course, Jack Kerouac. And, and there was uh, ah. Neil Cassidy, who I think Jack was kind of in love with. 
And Neil Cassidy was was this um, charismatic, uh, unbelievably handsome, uh, uh, bisexual um, man who was a true free spirit. He came from a very broken family. Um, he expressed himself a lot through um, uh, through drugs and alcohol. But he was true. I think truly what we would call a free spirit. He would, um, and he was very very sexual. And so I think he slept with a lot of a lot of women, a lot of men. Including, including most of his friends. How did you come to meet Alan then? I met Alan through... Patty Smith. Oh. And Patty opened up... I mean, I actually met William Burroughs through Kim Gordon and Thurston Moore. Sonic Youth were on tour with R.E.M. in 1995, and we had a day off in um, Kansas, and they invited me to join them to William's house. Um, in Kansas, and so we went and spent the day with him. That was incredible. And you photographed William? I photographed him, yeah, that day, in fact. And I, I, and then I developed a relationship with him. Was, you know, uh, he knew who I was, but we were not friends at all. I didn't have a cell phone number. <laughs> but but um, uh, but uh, he and Patty were very, very, very close. And so I wound up going back to Kansas with her at some point uh, for this um, 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 uh, celebration of William's life by most of his friends. And that's actually where I met John Giorno for the first time. Yeah. One of the most charismatic and one of the most sexy uh, men or women, I've, the sexiest man I've ever met. Rest, yeah, so rest in power, that's so sad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I could cry. Um, uh, uh, yeah, he uh, from across the room, I was just like, who is that man? <laughs> and then he came over and he gave me this giant hug and kissed me on the mouth wow. and said, you must come to New York and stay with me. And I was like, oh, good, good, good. How old was you then? I was uh, 35. And he was an established well-known artist at that point making... I didn't know who he was at the party, right. but then someone said, that's John Jordan. I was like, holy shit, I know who that is. You know, I've read wow. his name for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no wonder, you know, no wonder I've read his name for years. Look, yeah. at, look at that, look <laughs> at that creature. He was so gorgeous and amazing. And what about, what talk about an intellect. That guy could really pull the most well, disparate. Yeah, I mean, incredible, yeah. Yeah, incredible. So God God rest him. Yeah. God rest his soul. John Giorno. So, mm-hmm. so... F- Going back to photography, yeah. That you, you. Saw- oh, and Alan was there. Sorry, oh, sorry that, I, so now I circle around oh, to answering your question. Alan and William go back decades, and 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 Patty and Alan and William go back decades. So it was through Patty Smith that I met Alan Ginsberg. Right, wow. and he's actually featured in the first photo book. And Patty's like one of your best mates in the world, is she? She's we're yes, yeah, we are. I mean, I get all shy when I say that. But yeah. <laughs> yes, I love her uh, very, very much, and it's it's one of those, you know, it's a storybook. It's like it's like it's it's unbelievable that that it was her record that changed my life as a 15 year old. Which one was it? Horses. I bought it the day it came out. I listened to it all night long, and that morning I said, "That's what I'm going to do." And then I just set out to find the band that could help me do that. Wow. And um, but that 20 almost to the day uh, 20 years later, we would meet in Detroit, uh, Michigan. Uh, her husband had died, and she was uh, she was grieving deeply grieving. But she and her husband knew my band from MTV and knew who I was. And yeah. uh, she was really excited to meet me, and which blew my mind. But yeah. me, it was one of those things. Like when you and I met, I mean, I, I felt instantly like this is going to be, this is a long term. This, yeah. is, this is real. You can feel, you feel, you feel the realness right away. I thought that with Patty. Did you meet Robert Maplethorpe? We never met. You never met? No, no. 
had he already passed when you met Patty? No. Yeah, yeah. He was. He had been gone six years when Patty and I met. Right. Yeah. Do you like his work? Very much. I think yeah. he's incredible. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and there, there's some stuff that's going around right now that his work isn't as shocking as it used to be, and so we have to look at it through a different lens, and I think it's a lot of horseshit. I think it is. I mean, it is as shocking. I went to the um, Gay Lesbian Museum in... Uh, Leslie Lohman. Wor- Worcester Street in, in New York. York. Yeah, and Leslie they had a whole series yeah. there of, of, like, of the models with their penises out and, like, really, like kind of like graphic S&M imagery, which yeah. in the 80s at the time would have been extremely shocking. And I think, and even now, it's still, it's still shocking yeah, to see I that. I agree. To see that, and to see that kind of in auction catalogue sometimes, these images are just there and they're really like fisting and stuff. It's like really extreme. I don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that at all. It's still, I think if my mum walked into a gallery and saw that, I think she would be like, oh my God, what's yeah. that? <laughs> I think they're also incredibly timeless yeah. works. Like they, they capture, so they of course capture a specific era, mm. but they also become so much about human nature and human psychology that they'll just last forever and I saw the Francis Bacon show last week in Paris and the same thing with those paintings those paintings are so transcendent and so timeless and haunting and disturbing which is why his photography is so good as well because it is a bit haunting and it it kind of gets to the truth of the matter like it gets to who we are as humans which I think is such a hard thing to do as an artist to actually get to that point people can try and pretend to do it Mm. and they'll they'll show you a version of it that Uh looks like and it might even be successful but those kind of artists don't ever last the the test of time whereas I think he will you know I would argue argue that a true artist can, can from time to time misstep and create inauthentic work and that to me when I find the shitty piece by Brancusi which I did find. Right. I, I went, oh, okay, he's that good that he, he really stepped off a cliff with this one and it didn't work, in my opinion. Yeah. What, what was it? Um, well, there's a few. <laughs> actually, <laughs> was it a period it that he actually did this? Or? It was earlier work. Yeah. Uh, and, and the influences, I think, were very different than his, his later work was, I think, most definitely influenced by African yes. uh, African uh, yeah. uh, uh, tribal, tribal arts and art. stuff, yeah. Um, uh, and that's a whole other conversation. But but Brain this was pre sculpture, was it? But this was more the no, it was sculpture, right. yeah, sculpture work. But um, but not not very good. And and I, I liked it that I found the Brancusi piece that wasn't like that didn't descend from heaven. Uh huh. That 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 made him all the more real. Yeah, all the more human. To me. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. yeah. So you see photography as in part as important as music to you. That's always been something that you've seen. And and for many years, you felt quite frustrated that people weren't accepting that as a kind of multifaceted quality to you not frustrated that's not the right term but i but i i think people thought oh it's a it's a, i'm a hobbyist and this is my hobby right this is something that i do on the side it's a folly or something yeah that because i have this insane insanely um uh, um this velocity this life that's filled with with travel and 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 fascinating people and places and mm-hmm. and i document it that that it's 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 a it's a folly, yeah, and and it's not. It's something that I do. I mean, for me, photography and, and music are the most are the easiest mediums for me to express myself in. That's not to say that I shouldn't experiment with other mediums, and I like experimenting with other mediums, like like video, like um, dance, which I know nothing about. Mm-hmm. So to work with a contemporary dancer and ask them to dance to this really shitty piece of music that mm-hmm. I wrote, and then knowing that I'm going to pull that music away and compose to their their movement, they're really they're really taking a chance and they're exposing themselves and they're giving me a part of themselves that I don't think I would get if I were a, um, if I, if, if I were um, a, a choreographer or, mm-hmm. or, or someone who, who, who knew a great deal about contemporary dance. Mm-hmm. And I like, I like that. I like that as a, as a creative, as a creative, let's use that term instead of artist as a creative person. I like that. Um, 
that I can kind of move off and try these other uh, these other forms and, and see how they work, mm-hmm. or who, combine or combining them. Who do you look at in photography then, as someone contemporary or well, historical? Wolfgang, Wolfgang Tillmans. Yes. Is, is, and you've sat for Wolfgang Tillmans, haven't you? I, well, I did sit in his green chair. I was <laughs> I was over to his place for for dinner, and this was a thousand years ago. And he. Um, this was in London, or in London, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, the old um, uh, near Old Street. Yeah, he had that place, and. Um, he would he would often put up. Uh, I'd been to a studio enough times in his apartment to know that he would put up um, uh, new work on the wall to just kind of live with it for a while. Mm-hmm. So he had all these new pieces up on on the wall, and it, it was um, this guy who kind of looked like a skinhead. He had a mo- Mohican, and he's naked, and he's very attractive, and he's peeing on a green chair. Yeah. And and I'm like, wow, this is new. Like I haven't seen this. It's like an office before. chair, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So um, there in the kitchen, and Wolfgang at the time his. Um, his um, his color printer was also in the kitchen, and it's an enormous machine. So there wasn't really room for a third person. It's like a, a two fanny kitchen, as my as my grandma would call it. So so they're they're in there cooking dinner, and Wolfgang's like, "Have a seat at the table. Here's some wine." I'm like, "Okay." So they're talking to me through the door, and Wolfgang's like, "Um, what do you think of the new work?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's kind of amazing." I mean, that shot of the guy pissing on the chair. My God! And Wolfgang's like, "Do you like the chair you're sitting in?" And I was like, "And I realized I'm sitting in the chair." No. <laughs> and I'm like, "You fucker! How fucking dare you, <laughs> you motherfucker!" <laughs> Did you pose in that chair? The photo? It was the same chair. Yeah. No. That's, that's Did it so smell? No, it didn't smell. It's a different chair. But I mean, oh, he had, oh, I see. He had seven right, or eight right, of right. them. But um, oh. but he was, of course, it was a big joke, and they had set it up. Perfect, you know they they set me up for yeah, a, big, yeah. a big a big fall, so that was good. Do you like being amused for other photographers? Do I like being amused? Yeah. Do you like sitting amused? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love to be photographed. Um, yeah. Do you? I really do. Yeah, yeah. What do you? Why? I have why? To, I, but I have to try. I, well, I think I've got a good head, and 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 <laughs> you know, from from the right, I've got bad angles. You're at one of them right now. Like okay. If you were a oh, photographer taking my picture, I would turn to give you my Warhol face which is the straight on, and I kind of know my eyes are slightly crooked like Patty's, like um, Alexandra's in the next room, something that I really admire, like Kate Moss, Grantley Phillips uh, from Grantley Buffalo, um, River Phoenix, some of my favorite people have eyes that are slightly off. Mine are a little bit off, and they're more so off when I'm a little bit tired. Um, I have to really focus to... I look normal in, per- in person, I think. I don't look like my eyes are that wonky. I'm yours, looking at yours, your are, now. yours are a little off too. Thanks. Yeah, in a good way. That's why you like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My friend took method acting f- uh, as a, as a, as an uh, as uh, as an actor and and writer uh, when we were in our early twenties, and for some reason uh, he had this very emotional response when he saw men on the street with slightly crossed eyes. He would burst into tears. Wow. And to this day, that was. That was 38 years ago. To this day, he has no idea why. But um, through method acting, though, through like yeah, it was something something that came triggered triggered wow. from deep, deep, deep inside. He wouldn't mind me saying that on the show. But um, uh, so your angles, so your Andy Warhol angle. I have to be very careful. I have to I have to concentrate to look at you with my right eye, so that in the photograph I don't look slightly. Um, Cross-eyed or drunk? Boss. I look drunk. You look drunk. <laughs> Actually, wow. I look drunk. Yeah, I look drunk. When, and this is something you perfected over the years after seeing lots of pictures I don't, I of can't yourself. S- I can't say I perfected it, but if you were a photographer and I didn't know you yeah. and you were taking my picture from that angle, you're at a forty-five degree angle. For me. Uh-huh. So it's a what do we call it? A three-quarter. Uh, I would turn. I would turn to change the angle. Nice. Well, it's good that you know your angles. But do, well, but if <laughs> but if you were Wolfgang Tillmans, you could do whatever the fuck you wanted. Yeah, yeah. 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 Jim Herbert, you could do whatever you wanted. Yeah, yeah. If you were yeah. Anton Corbine, shoot away. I don't care. But yeah. you photographed yourself a lot. 
it wasn't there a project I where did. you had a camera and you set you set it on a timer? Yes. So that it like and then you'd come into the picture every so often. I was going to bed every night. Uh, I, I I went to Georgia. My little dog was dying. She was um, uh, eighteen, almost nineteen years old, and I got the call that she was she was in her last week and I needed to come uh, help her die. And so I, I flew down from New York and she was so happy to see me oh. that she lived for six months oh. and I couldn't leave. So I left for a wedding uh, for a day and a half, but I, I was there for six months to help her die. And um, I got really um, agitated because I'm not used to being any anywhere for six months. It's yeah. very, very difficult for me. And there's not a lot of um, distraction there. So I started all these projects. I did all these works using books at, in 2009. This happened in 2009. Uh, people were really, there was this kind of general feeling that books were going to be gone, that we weren't going to have books anymore. Everything was going to be on a screen and backlit. Mm-hmm. And so I started using books like um, as a raw material to create sculpture pieces um, I, and, and drilling holes through them and doing all this stuff to kind of, kind of deface the idea of a book or to, to think of it as this useless brick. Um, and I started doing all these photo things. Uh, I, I, um, I did screen grabs on my, uh, on my computer for the better part of that six months. And then I uh, animated it into a 20-minute film of just everything I was looking at on my computer that year. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, and I took my camera every night when I went to sleep, I would place it on the um, uh, the shelf of, of my bathroom in my bathroom, and I would photo my, photograph myself uh, getting undressed to go to bed, uh, or with the newspaper of the day, or with whatever T-shirt I had that someone had given me as a gift, or someone would send me something that because they knew I was had total cabin fever, mm. so they would send me something to distract me or to try to help me through it, and uh, and I and then I, I animated that into a five minute film that first showed in a show in uh, in Greece. Uh, a group show about identity, and then another show in Japan uh, after oh, Fukushima. Where would this exist now? Fukushima. Uh, it only exists in in my archive now. Right. But um, I have a show coming up uh, that will be announced in a month. Um, that that I think I think right now I think at least one of those pieces is going to wind up in that show. Wow. Um, anyway, yeah. So and there's a picture of me naked 
um, re-photographed re off of my computer screen from Yes, that, I know that one. That yeah, series. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And in your new video, like not the video, sorry, in the new bundle that you get yeah. from the single, there's like a portrait of you that actually moves. That's right. And that also is almost like you've done, you photographed yourself at different points or something with different colors and lights and things. It's 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 all at one time, but it's using Polaroid film that was going to be thrown away okay. uh, because it, it, had, it, it, it had expired. Ah. And so uh, rather than just throw it away, I, I thought, well, let's see what I can do with it. Um, and I created a, um, for the release of this book, of, of for the release of Our Interference Times, um, a visual record, I uh, did a, um, a special edition with 30 uh, self-portraits, each, uh, each unique of, of these Polaroids. So I had a lot left over. Right. If someone bought it for however much they, they paid for, I think it was 600 bucks, it wasn't that much. But so if someone bought it, I wanted it to be really perfect. I took all the imperfect ones, which I prefer and made it into this GIF for the release of the single. Wow. And talking about Polaroids, you own Andy Warhol's Polaroid I do. camera. yeah. How did that come about? Um, I saw it in a show, and it was for sale, and I bought it. Really? Totally weird, yeah. And I actually know the person uh, who was selling it. Uh, I, I knew him, actually, as a, mu as a musician. Um, what I had forgotten is that he came to music, or he arrived into the New York scene uh, through, through Warhol's factory. And so he knew Warhol very well. And um, Andy w went through a lot of Polaroids. It wasn't the only one that he right. ever owned, but it was, it was one of his. And in fact, Russell, there was, a, there, was an there was an exposed Polaroid in the camera when I got it. Wow. It had been broken. The, the, the camera was broken uh, when Warhol gave it to his charge. And um, so I... I I held on to that Polaroid as Warhol's last. Well, what piece. is it? What is it? What's um, the image? Or is it just like a fragmented? It's 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 a terrible Polaroid to take in the truth. <laughs> it's not. There's no image on it. It's 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 one of those Polaroids. Yeah, that yeah, it yeah, just, yeah. It Overexposed. Just, it just goes to color. Yeah. Wow. And can I ask you how much a, an Andy Warhol Polaroid camera would cost you? I bought it for I think it was thirteen hundred dollars. Wow. Not bad. Wow. And then I and then I used it in the show for. I did a show in um in um in Brooklyn last year. Mm. Um for volume one mm. and uh i used the polaroid as a part of a um i i set up this um thing that looked like an infinity mirror um in, in 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 space uh these um these uh 1970s shaped um uh shelves shelving units mm. and i bought t uh, t uh 10 of them and i i placed them one next to the other uh and if you stood at the end of it it looked like an infinity mirror mm -hmm. wow. and and then i placed everything that inspired me as a teenager uh, uh, from the 1970s into there. So it, it, it went from Warhol to the Velvet Underground to Patti Smith to, um, to Brancusi and all these, all these art references and, um, uh, and actual artifacts of, 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 my, of my teen years. Because I was born uh, January 4th, 1960. So when, 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 when the decade turned 1970, I turned 10 years old I, uh, four days later. And then when the decade turned 1980, I, I was no longer a teenager four days after. So that represented the, the, um, uh, uh, the early influences of, of, of me uh, as, as, a, as a, trying to be an artist, trying to be wow. a creative person. Yeah. And talking of Warhol as well, you actually met Warhol, didn't you? Yeah. Did you just meet him once? He, he tried to pick me up. It was kind of cute. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, where was you? It was in New York. Uh, it was at the Beacon Theatre. Which, which, oddly, in the first book, in volume one, the Beacon Theater runs through it 
as this place where all these things happened to me one decade decade after another. Mm. All these incredible things happened to me in that theater. You performed um, there, right, as well? I performed there many times, but yeah. that's that's where Patty and Bob Dylan played. And yeah. I saw Mariah Carey there do a Christmas album. No. So it's kidding. more or less the same. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's your experience. That's, that's actually hysterical. <laughs> I, I like Mariah Carey, I want to oh, say. Me too. I like, her, I like her very much. Yeah. I, got, I got in a lot of trouble early on because of a big mouth, but... Why? What did you say? I someone asked me. They it was one of these. Um, it was so, so stupid. I didn't want to tell you. It's one of these <laughs> things where they 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 they're going to throw out a name and you have to respond as quickly as you can. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was for a stupid music magazine that I won't even I won't even honor by naming here. Okay. And um, they said Mariah, and I said rhymes with Pariah, uh, which is a terrible. That's right, a terrible right, thing right. to say about anyone. Right. I actually think she's a really talented singer, and I know that she's she's someone who's got a really good heart. Yes. And she's a really sweet person. Did that get back to her? It got back to her. It got back to her manager, oh. who wrote a letter to said magazine, which I won't. I won't honor. Oh here, God! Uh, Did you have me. a few sleepless nights about that? Or? Well, yeah. There's that, and that, that story will continue after the microphones are turned off. But Mariah, <laughs> sorry guys, Mar- Mariah forgave me. Um, I, I think eventually, and I, I, I weirdly, I bumped into her uh, at two in the morning late one night with my friend Cameron Diaz, and they had a little tussle over something that Cameron had said about Mariah. Oh, no. Oh, there was a lot of forgiving. So you were just like, no. Mariah, we love you. There were a lot of apologies and a lot of forgiving. Yeah. And and everyone everyone walked away from it beaming and feeling a little oh, bit good. better about oh, well, herself. Oh, yeah, she's very tall. She's a she's a big girl. She's 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 strong. Cool. Like, she's really tall. She You wouldn't expect that. Wow. Yep. So talking about... So you saw Mariah there. Right? Yeah, Andy Warhol. Yeah, Mariah. But Andy Warhol, sorry. Warhol. About Beacon, so yeah. what, welcome where, to, you welcome to my mind and how I think. <laughs> <laughs> this could go on for another decade. Loving yeah. it. Um, yeah, Warhol was at... Uh, it was uh, the American Music Awards is the name of the thing. And Todd Eberly is a friend of mine who I met when he was a teenager. He would come up from um, Florida and stop in Athens on his way to New York or because he and his friend, who I was dating at the time loved um, Athens and loved the energy of the, of the city and loved R.E.M. So they would stay with me. And um, Todd um, wanted to be a photographer, and we talked about it a lot. And he later told me that I gave him the courage to to um, to embark on a career as a photographer. He became Whoa. he became the portraitist for Vanity Fair for the better part of a decade. Wow. And, um, and went on to, um, he befriended Donald Judd and put out the first book of Judd's work when Judd was... Um, was looking for someone to basically document his work in a way that he found uh, appropriate. And Todd was exactly the person for that. Wow. So the year is 1985. We're at the Beacon Theater. It's a silly award show. Um, and Todd Eberly comes running up to me, my friend Tom Gilroy, my best friend, and he says, Andy Warhol's on the fourth, fourth floor. You're going to take his picture with him. <clears throat> and I'm going to take your picture with him. And he throws me into the elevator, and we go up, and I'm like, what the fuck have I gotten myself into? We walk off the elevator, and there's Andy Warhol. And Todd's assistant has been holding him there, uh, ready to be photographed with me. And so I sidle up next to him, and he says, hi, um, you're cute. And I said, thank you. And he said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a singer in a band. And he said, oh, you're a pop star. And I said, no, I'm a singer in a band. And he said, you're a pop star. And I said, no, I'm a singer in a band. (laughs) And he said, can I have your phone number? And I said, yes. So I gave him my number. I wrote it on his award. Somewhere in those boxes in the Warhol Foundation, some, somewhere buried in, in his uh, time Archive, capsules. Yeah. He, well, he, he would fill 
boxes up with every. He was a hoarder. He would fill boxes up with everything that came to him in his yeah. in his life that he didn't want to look at immediately, and he would just box them up. And t- when the box got full, he would tape it up, and he'd start a new box. So somewhere in one of those hundreds of boxes of Warhol's time capsules is his um, American Music Awards uh, award with my phone number scratched out on the back of it. And Did I don't. Call you? I don't know if he ever called me, Russell, because I didn't have an answering machine. It was 1985. <laughs> I couldn't afford an answering machine. So Andy might well have called me for a date, and I, I don't know. Would you have gone the date with him? I had this love hate relationship with Andy. Actually, I wanted to ask you about that because I, I heard that you had a like, kind of problematic feeling towards him. Maybe. I, I mean, you know, it, it, it was not a secret, even to a 25. I was 25 at the time, or, or 26. I was 25. It was not a secret then that people who came within his sphere often would be spit out and would 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 have these terrible uh these terrible and like he didn't take care of his people basically he wasn't very good at he was good at bringing people in but if they developed a drug problem or an alcohol problem or 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 uh, or suffered suffered from mental illness or something whatever it was or any combination of all those things they could spin out of his uh out of his sphere and 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 you know he didn't give a fuck that 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 was that was rumored and I've spoken to people that know him quite well, and some of them say that was actually accurate to who he was. Mm. Um, others have a kinder take on it. But one way or the other, I did have a love-hate relationship with Warhol because I loved his work. I, I really do believe that he, his work is still resonating, profoundly resonating in, mm. in, in everything contemporary that's happening now. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, God, and, yeah. Will, and will continue to. He, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. he was prescient in, in virtually every possible way. Um, and he was he was a brilliant um, um, he was just a brilliant mind. Of course, yeah. So you collected his camera, but you're a collector in general, right? Would you describe yourself as? A- yeah, I like, but I'm not an art collector, so per, per se, I mean, I, I do, I, and I have my whole life. If I see something that I like and I can afford it, I would buy it just to put it on my wall. But um, but I'm not a collector. I don't actually. I'm a little. I'm. I kind of run away from that that word. Do you? Yeah. I run towards it. <laughs> but last time we met in New York, you were telling me about how you'd um, acquired at auction the archive of Roy Cohn. I did. Which is kind of makes me think about your collecting sphere. What what you sort of collecting? You like um, ephemera. Ephemera for you is like a really exciting yeah, thing. Yeah. So the, and you but you've still got this archive and it's like a love hate relationship to that right it's a hate 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 i mean uh, you know he was a human being he was deeply flawed he was an evil awful person um i'm sure that there's something redeemable about his character it's not up to me to decide what that is but he was a person and you know we the the most evil person on earth we can each if we're evolved enough we can see ourselves in them we can see how we could become that ourselves and in recognizing that, we recognize our own humanity. In recognizing that, we forgive those who are, are the most horrible, the most wretched, the saddest, the most evil people on earth. And so, but that's not why I got it. I got it because I thought to myself, this is completely weird. It's probably haunted. I don't want to touch it. I put on gloves. I went to the auction house. I flipped through it. It's, it's, a, bo- it's a large box of stuff. And... There wasn't. There's no mojo at all. It was completely neutral. There was mm-hmm. nothing. Are you quite sensitive to things? I'm like that? really sensitive to that, as is most members of my family. And um, and for people that don't believe in that, go fuck yourself. It's real. <laughs> yeah. I was really worried about it. Roy Cohen's personal archive. I don't want to touch anything that he touched. Yeah. As it turns out, it was completely neutral. There was nothing there. Now we're in London. One of the, I, from to my experience, the most haunted place on earth. So what have you experienced you, there? Horrible. 
horrible. Uh, well, horrible, uh, horrible nights trying to sleep in hotels that really? used to be hospitals. Or uh, there's a lot of ghosts here, a lot. Do you, uh, do you I, see you know ghosts? What? No. You just feel it. Well, it's an energy. You feel it very intensely. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Uh, but but I do. I, other people see him. I don't know. I I mean I'm, I, I, it's nothing special. I don't think it's just these channels open up and, and you, you're either uh, you're either accepting or, or or believing in it or not. And and so I think a lot of people who don't believe in that kind of thing probably have have had some kind of experience that they can put down to something else. Or they're too scared to say. Or, or they're too, it's, it's a thing where you. The other thing is, I don't really call that forward. I don't. I don't, I don't like talking about it so much. So mm. let's we'll change the subject. But okay. so London going, is very haunted. Going back to Roy Cohn. Yeah. I first learned about him very late in my life, actually, because Russ was in Angels in America, mm-hmm. and he's a character in Angels yeah. in America, yeah. and quite hideous character. Yeah. And I heard that that uh, archive that you bought, you actually were using to make a sculpture or an artwork related I, to it, or yeah, using yes. it. Yes, I created a. I created a piece out of wood. Um, out of pine and lead uh, to encapsulate Roy Cohen's personal archive. Right. And it, it's completed. And I'm actually, when I get back to New York, I'm looking for someone to show it because wow. the time is now. Well, I, didn't, is now. I didn't know. Uh, none of us knew uh, at the time when I bought it that, that uh, the, our, the current American president would be uh, the current American president. Yeah, no, yeah, one, yeah. no one imagined that that was possible. Um, but, of course, Roy Cohen... Uh, was his mentor? Was his mentor, and 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 chose him as his, as his chosen, mm. basically as 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 his charge and his chosen. And son. they were close. And then when Roy Cohn got AIDS, Donald Trump, Donald disappeared. completely disappeared. Yeah. Completely ignored him. Yeah, left him. Left him there. High and dry. It's like it's just it's almost Greek. I had for, I had forgotten that you were in Angels in America. Yeah. I, I have an interesting story that I think will resonate yeah. um, with with what we're talking about. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm now friends with an AIDS activist who was one of the original. Um, uh, one of the original members of ACT UP who started ACT UP and yeah, now yeah. works with a group called Rise and Resist. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. Um, her name is Ivy. She's she's a hero to me. She is the person who got the call from the nurse who was attending to Roy Cohen <gasps> when he died to say, he's got the good drugs. Come and get them. Oh, so what Belize, the character Belize was based on when he goes and steals all of his drugs to dispense yep. to all of his friends that are dying who can't get access to Ivy it. Ivy was the person who went to the hospital and stole, carted, carted, stole Whoa. Drugs and handed them out to her friends who were most in need. Oh Incredible. God. Huh. She's such a hero. That's just giving me goosebumps. I know. Oh, I know. my God. Yeah. And do you think... Tony Kushner knew of Ivy, then knew of that story. I don't know. Do it's just like something that he... Probably, was that common knowledge that the, the drugs went missing? It might have been common. common. Yeah. I mean, well... It's, it's the, the kind of story that would Dallas probably... Yeah, like it's a common like thing. Like, like a, a folky sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, like a Dallas Buyers Club kind of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Probably, wow. Probably yeah. That's an amazing Intense. story. Yeah. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I hope. I mean, I hope that I hope that I'm able to get the piece out of my apartment soon. I don't like it being there. No, of course. For a variety of reasons. I think it belongs... In, in an institution, and it should be exhibited in New York. I It'd think it'd be interesting really to see who who where that gets put on, and it's very. I mean, yeah. it's so political. I had yeah, interest. Yeah, yeah. I had interest from a place in Berlin, and but oh, really? but, I, but I actually think New York is a better place. Absolutely, oh, it's got totally. to stay there. Yeah, that was that was powerful. the city that that Roy belonged to, and that's the city that the current president came from. And yeah, um, thinks is his own. Yeah, it makes it makes sense that totally. it, that, it, that it's there. Well, we ask every guest that comes on two really mm-hmm. serious questions. Okay, the first one is if you could do an art heist. Your touchstone artwork, anything in the world that you could live with forever, what would that be and why? That I could live with. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Fuck. Maybe a Brancusi? No. Well, <laughs> no, Bernini. A what? 
Bernini sculpture. I'd get a Bernini. Why Bernini? I was going to say, because I actually read that there's going to be a show at the new museum. I, I brought the paper with me to read on the train tonight. I'm on my way to Paris. To um, Fiax over, right? I think. Yeah. I think it finishes Sunday evening. Yeah, I'm. I'm not going for that. I'm doing a talk tomorrow night about the book. But oh, cool. But um, my friend Prun Nori uh, has a premiere of her movie about her, um, her, um, uh, her, uh, her experience with breast cancer, coming through breast cancer. She made a documentary. Um, I think. I think her therapist said that it was a good idea to pick up a camera. And was that like Joe Spence? There's the yeah, artist exactly. Joe Spence who documented yeah, yeah. herself. Mm. Like there's a show on in London right now. Incredible. The World really? Collection. Yeah. Wow. I just saw the Freud show last night at the Royal Academy. Yeah, the it opens this next portraits. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I strongly recommend it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Prune. So Benini. Fiac. Yeah, the, the artwork. You, yeah. 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 I, What's I the work like then, the, the sculptures by Benini? The, the most um, emotive and, and shockingly emotional um, por- portraits, uh, um, uh, busts. Uh, I think he used himself as a, um, uh, as a model for some of them. But they're these, they're these just incredibly moving um, sculpture pieces. Where have you seen them before? I've only seen them in books. Really? Yeah. Now, I was in Rome recently, uh, but I, I was working. I didn't have time to, um, right. to, 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 go, to go find some. But, um, yeah, I think I'd go for a Bernini. Oh, I was reading in the paper, the new museum in New York is, is going to have a show of Hans Hacke. Uh-huh. Yeah, Hans, great. He's a fucking hero of mine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I would say, and uh, I, I would say, but I don't really want to live with it, um, uh, uh, Condensation Cube, for me, is like the Mona Lisa of, wow. of abstract art. And, and um, um, a piece that I did uh, um, years ago, uh, 10 years ago, uh, 11 years ago, I did a piece called a cast of the space under my cheap plastic chair, which was spinning off of um, Bruce, Bruce Neumann. Oh, Well, Rachel took Bruce Neumann, but what I didn't know was that Bruce Neumann probably got the idea from Brancusi. Oh, Brancusi wow. did a, did a um, ceramic, uh, did a um, plaster cast of the space under a stool of his and used that uh, as one of his uh, uh, what are the plinths. And I think... Bruce Nelman probably got the idea. Bruce Nelman's piece is called A Cast of the Space Under My Chair. Uh-huh. His, was, his was a wooden chair. It's very beautiful. Rachel took that idea and expanded on it and, uh-huh. and made a career out of it. And she's a great artist as well, I think. Um, but I did my own version of it using um, uh, the line from um, uh, from The Graduate uh, about plastics. Uh, uh, it was it was uh, around the time that Bruce did that piece, that um, Nelman did that piece, that... Um, uh, they they invented the first uh, the plastic uh, uh, that w- was able they were able to squeeze out a single piece of plastic that was strong enough that it could be made into a chair that a, a human being could sit on without it collapsing, and that's the chair that we see everywhere now. So that's the cast that I made. Wow! Um, wow! So Hans Hack is going to be at the new museum. Next Hans Hack is at the new museum, and wow. Condensation Cube is uh, is a great abstract piece that that partly inspired my. My, um, Would you steal that? I wound, as well making, as... I wound up making that about me somehow. Well, the, the thing about the piece... <laughs> it that, always is, though. Art is very it subjective is. and it's very personal. Yeah. Yeah. And I know myself better than anyone, and I don't know myself that well, and I guess I'm as self-absorbed as anyone, so there it is. But that's okay. Um, the condensation cube changes with the amount of people that are in the room. It changes with the, with the, with the, uh, the barometric pressure and, and the, the, I guess, the breath and the, the bodies and the heat that are moving through the room. So I wouldn't want to have it for myself because it wouldn't change very much. I would want it to be in a public place. Mm. Mm. Talking about you a bit more, 
I've just remembered that I actually, I think the first time I ever met you was in France at Chateau Lacoste because you had done a sculpture installation outdoors. That's right. Can you talk a bit about that? that was I always wanted first, to ask you about it. Yeah, thanks. That was my first sculpture piece. Um, and it's, is it foxes? It's foxes, yeah. yeah. And they're, they're taken from a small uh, 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 plastic toy. Um, inspired by Doug Copeland, Douglas Copeland, ah. um, who would take he would take things that he liked and just blow them up really big just to see what they look like, and it was an experiment on my part to mimic what Doug was doing using this um, this plastic toy of a of a fox, and I blew it up and I created seven of them, um, and uh, and it it now uh, it's in two places in in the south of France uh, at a at a private home and it's Chateau Lacoste, uh, and one place in Atlanta. Is it a permanent there? It's permanent. Wow! And it, yeah, it, I was I was part of the, I was one of the first artists actually, so I was really I was really honored to. And if people haven't been there, it's the most incredible place to go because it's just stunning landscape, and you can walk through, and it's got everything from like a Tracy Emin to Louise Bourgeois to you know lots of different artists, but also kind of a great bit, architecture. A great architecture, exactly. A bit like pavilions you would have at the Venice Biennale, but they would almost like take them from Venice and put them in the south of France, and it's an amazing place to stay. Um, but not even just that, just for a day trip. It's incredible to, to see it. Yeah. And I remember at the time, that was the first time I think I met you and you were very shy and I just didn't get to ask you. And I, I think I'm very if like... I, if I was remarkable or not. <laughs> <laughs> I just, a I compliment wanted... is if you're very unremarkable. Unmemorable is unmemorable, like, that's a compliment. That's yeah. Well, the piece was memorable because I'd strolled along going up and oh, maybe to see Tracy's. Or, no, Tracy's wasn't there yet, maybe. I can't remember. No. But anyway, I was, wondering, I was wandering around anyway and I was, I was dying to know what, what it was about, but I didn't have any information. I was going to ask you and I felt too embarrassed because I thought I was being too overbearing. Oh. Um, but yeah, so that, I'm glad we've finally spoken about that because I didn't know they were, it was from a toy. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other question we would ask, or I, I consider guess, it my, my my first sculpture piece. That really? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's bronze. The other. Um, oh, I just want to jump in oh, yeah. just to say about art because there was a, a, a quote yeah. which you wrote, which is saying that uh, in art, what you look for is something that encourages you forward, mm. which for me really struck a chord I think that's such wow. a beautiful way of summing up what art does as a personal journey because so many times I see artists and art artworks and it encourages me to keep going forward to keep discovering to keep wanting to learn mm. when I see a, when I see a great show at an at a institution or a museum I walk out into the street and it could be raining it could be shitty old smelly old nasty old sad old New York but you look at everything differently yeah Something about seeing a great a great body of work by by a Freud or by a Tracy Emin or by uh, uh, Sam Taylor Johnson or whomever uh, Hans Hacke, you walk out and it changes your perception of your of the rest of your world, mm. even for a brief moment. Mm -hmm. And if, if 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 music can do that, if if dance can do that, if video can do that, if if art can do that, then then it's it's taking all of us and it's 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 placing us where we are in the present moment. And I think in a very positive, hopefully a very positive way progressively pushing us forward mm -hmm. to imagine what would life be if we were able to acknowledge everything with with such awe and such wonder How, who would we be to ourselves who would we be to the world that we're cohabiting with is that a word cohabiting cohabitating mm. yeah with with all these other species you know one of the things i've been thinking about before we met you is this idea of greatness inspiring greatness and how you can somehow be inspired by people's art or their music or different different even acts uh -huh. of kindness or something and how that can inspire other people to do great things and i feel like your story if you think about you listening to horses by patty smith and then you going out and forming a band and then you know changing the world with your music in a way um one of the most powerful things i remember 
of you is your era where you were like wearing makeup. Yeah. And you were you you, you weren't openly gay necessarily, but I don't at, at that point perhaps, I'm not really sure, but I remember you being this figure for me. And it wasn't like I was a massive REM fan or anything. I was listening to like Tori Amos and um, Madonna and <laughs> mainly female singers, actually. Uh, sure. But REM was a band that, because the songs were so strong, would come to me every so often. So you'd sort of, they'd be around me. And the thing that really connected me to you, though, was your physicality and your performance mm. style, like mm. performance art in a way. Mm -hmm. But when you started wearing makeup, I remember watching you on British TV and you did some song, I don't know if it was Orchid or not, what's the song called? Um, Orc kind of, Orchid what did you say not Orchid you wrote a song I can't remember what it was called now but um, not Oyster what the hell was it called Lotus Lotus okay yeah exactly that era oh, yeah. the way you were presenting yourself it, you became this very like other figure that wasn't even because back then I was really thinking about being gay mm -hmm. and it was very much like am I gay this is my identity and you try and like tag yourself into something that you yeah. belong to and well you, you look for someone that you can connect with precisely and you were the artist for me that made me realise it was okay to be who you are, regardless of whether you're gay or straight, yeah. it didn't matter, because yeah. you were somehow becoming this figure of otherness, mm. which now we've got many figures of otherness in a way, it's becoming much right. more mainstream in a great way. Mm. You know, you think of Anthony and the Johnsons, you know, Anoni, sure. and you think of all these amazing artists who've come since then. Yeah. I really do think that was one of the most important things in culture at that point. Yeah. And I wanted to say thank you for that, because uh. it's, it's genuine, and I don't mean to be cheesy or naff, but it's That's like, I really tried to think about what, yeah, what, what, what you represented to me. Was that scary and, for you, like going out there and doing that with that sort of attention it's funny i've been talking about it all week because it was 25 years ago it was the the lead up to um the release of monster yeah which was a, a record about uh, we, we, we were we were we were um as as music fans we were using um glam rock for the first time uh as as a, a jumping off point for a way to kind of reinvent what we were trying to approach musically we just put out these two really quiet records that were the two biggest records of our entire career and had not toured either of them and we were about to go on a tour so we needed to write loud songs and we used glam rock and I decided this is the time when I'm going to present myself publicly uh, present my sexuality for the first time right it wasn't very well received I have to say because I, I do I, I I am somewhere in between uh, and and although I, I most definitely prefer men that's for sure <laughs> but I, but I've, I've loved women in my life and and and, and it was real and, and and it continues to be so there's that but um but uh, it was 25 years ago. I've been talking about it all week long. And, I, you know, I'm so glad that I did it. It was terrifying at the time. It was, right. In music, it, there was Boy George, who was, you know, so flamboyantly over the top with, with the way he presented himself. And then there was Katie Lang. and But there was no one else. That was basically it. There was El so Elton, of course. David Bowie had kind of reneged on what he had said in the early 70s. Um, Mark, Mark Boland died before he could really present himself uh there were there really there really were no other people. Well, pete burns i guess was he someone who was doing that then or well was that maybe, later? maybe this was in 94 that's what i was going to say because the, other, the people you're talking about were before i mean kd wasn't so much she was early 90s but yeah. but i think like the the figures you're talking about were literally 10 years before mm. yeah because even so, if you think of performance art like lee bowery i mean yeah. late 70s yeah. early 80s i mean it's mm. that's kind of so it was quite an unusual thing when when you suddenly presented yourself with in that way everything locked down a lot more when thatcher and reagan became you know things got very conservative and then and we and then of course aids made it very difficult to to be um uh to be queer on in in, in any possible way yeah uh 
but yeah, anyway, thank you for saying that. That's that, that, that not, I mean, nothing, nothing touches me more closely than when people say that to me. The other thing I just want to say for everyone listening to this, if you haven't seen Michael's photographs yet, because many of you might not have, I guess, because I mean, I, I wasn't really that familiar with your photography, mm. to be honest, but it's, it's something that has followed the whole way through your life. And I personally love these photographs because I think they're, they're portraits of people, but they're not necessarily, you don't often see their faces. And your hands appear a lot. So I think you photographed your father's hands, Kurt Cobain's hands, yeah. like friends of yours. And those portraits, mm. just to me, are like, they sum up the soul of a human. But you and, said they don't have to contain a face to be a portrait. Exactly. That's though. right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. And that's what's so special about your work, actually, your photography, is because like yourself, I remember saying to Russ the other day that sometimes when I've spoken to you over the years, we had dinner in New York recently, um, I'll ask you something and then you pause and you think about it and then you answer. You're not someone who just blurts out like I do, like, oh, you know, <laughs> you don't rabbiting blurt. You're on. You're not a blurter. No, but I, I am. I can be. Yeah. I can just, I, I do just, I love <laughs> yeah. just talking. Yeah. I mean, it's normally what I'm thinking and what yeah. I feel, but yeah. it, I do just, just come out with you stuff. You do. But um, I, I think that sensitivity that you have, it really, is in the photography it's yeah. the way you kind of look at the world and and you notice things that other people don't notice which is what is so great about art so i really urge people to buy these books volume one and also um our, our interference, interference times, times a visual record which is a collaboration as well with douglas copeland who incidentally i was in the taxi with with you and if you, um, go, if you go to hatchards and piccadilly there might be some signed copies available still i signed a bunch of copies too. and yeah. then you can work out for yourself if it's a good signature or a bad signature uh, Love it. <laughs> and the final question we ask every guest yeah. is what is your favorite color blue oh that came right out yeah it did yeah blurted uh, it out <laughs> yeah actually marigold i like marigold right now but blue marigold's is, like blue, a yellow like the gloves yeah yeah like uh, like the color of i i i actually i sat up um bolt up right in bed at nine o'clock in the morning in a hotel room in new orleans in the middle of making a record alone haunted was it a haunted room it was not haunted okay. but but it was one of the only places in new orleans that isn't yeah i love new orleans by the way but I sat bolt upright in bed and yelled the word saffron. <laughs> and then I was like, what the fuck was that about? I mean, I, I'm, I don't wake up at 9 a.m. I don't sit bolt upright in bed. And I certainly don't yell to an empty room. Um, colors. Colors. And so the whole day I was in the studio and I was like, what the fuck was that about? And I finally realized that my favorite color at the time was um, a certain color named after a root of a plant that I don't know how to pronounce. And my unconscious was preventing me from embarrassing myself because I didn't know if it was turmeric or turmeric. Turmeric, isn't it? Turmeric. Turmeric. There's so many different things. So instead of yelling turmeric to myself, I yelled saffron, which is a very close color. (laughs) Yes. Isn't that weird? It's a spice as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't, that... don't you work out a lot of things in dreams? Because I, I, I heard, do, yeah. didn't you do a work about or a song about LB? I did a reach about. I uh, know reach around. <laughs> 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 yeah, LB, LB was um, was a dream that I had where I was invited to a party and I was the only person there without the initials LB. And I, But I, I do, um, and if you look back through REM uh, and even the books, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's present in all my work. I'm, I, I make lists. There are list songs and... The song that that the list that that list of LB people there were about fifty people that I named. In fact, I woke up and wrote down every name that I could remember. Louise Bourgeois was in there, Lester Bangs, the the art critic, um, the music critic, um, Leonid, Leonid Brezhnev, Lenny Bruce. Um, uh, it it went into a song called "It's the End of the World as We Know It." And I mm, um, love which uh, which was a list song. So it's just listing all the terrible things that that bring about. 
you know, the end of time. <laughs> and yay! One question. Sure. REM was that a dream? Coming up with your band name, Rapid Eye Movement. We pulled it out of a dictionary. I found it, and but I, I realized, looking back, of course, that my dreamscape and um, the world of the of the of the unconscious or the, of the subconscious has always worked its way into my into my work, my contribution to that band, all the way back to the to the beginning. That the name, I think, was a good bit of kismet because it does describe. Um, a lot of, I mean, Day Sleeper is exactly that. Day Sleeper was a woman uh, portrayed by me as a man in the video, uh, as a poor, sad guy who can't, um, who who who's at at the at the end. Uh, at I don't know how you interpret the song, but <laughs> at the at the end of 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 of, uh, of her um, uh, emotional um, uh, powers uh, because of having this schedule that's upside down and working this job that's really mundane. And that she's not she's not interested in it at all, but it's how she pays the bills. It's, it's, she's locked into it, so it has this kind of vaguely 1984, you know, Orwellian feeling to it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. John Hurt, my God, that's another one who left us. Mm. I love John Hurt mm. so much. John Hurt was so 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 great. Mm. I mean, Naked civil servant. Oh, oh, yeah, so good. Mike Mills invited my former bass player invited me to dinner once in Los Angeles to this Italian restaurant that I think Robert De Niro owned. It starts with an A, aha, it's called Aji or Ala or something. He invited me to dinner, didn't tell me that I was having dinner with John Hurt, who he had met. And I arrived at the restaurant. I was introduced to John Hurt. I like picked my job off the ground mm. and we walked in to sit down at the table only to run into Tony Curtis um, wearing a very, very bad uh, wig and, and his wife who had very large breasts. Oh my God. So I was, uh, by the time we got to the table, I was just like, holy fucking Christ, I'm, I'm at dinner with John Hurt, and that's Tony Curtis and his wife. And that is like house. overload. It was a lot. Yeah. Was, yeah that, was, that, was, that was L.A. in the 90s. I think you've had a lot of them stories in your life. I've but I, John Hurt was a big part of that show that I put together, my, my influences from, from the 1970s. With the Infinity Mirror. The Infinity Mirror, yeah. yeah. But actually, I think you've used photography, like summing all this up now, but um, to, to make sense of all of this life. You know, because you've had this extraordinary... Um, and I know you've described it as being lucky, but I just don't see it as that because I think somehow you've you found a family, you know, through what you've done, mm. and you found like-minded people, whether they know you or don't know you. You know, you've you've connected with millions of people all over the world, and you co- kind of created that for yourself, and that was obviously your, your destiny or whatever. But um, I love that in the work as well. Like, there's photographs of your first boyfriend or one of your early boyfriends, Jeremy Jeremy Ayers, Ayers. Yeah. and I liked this idea that you said that that relationship almost made you see the fun side of life as well. So that it wasn't just all about cerebral, intense you. Yeah. But somehow you found the lightness and the happiness. Shiny, happy laugh. people almost. <laughs> he taught me how to laugh. He taught me how to dance. Yeah, which I really liked though. I was really into that idea of like positive um, influence because I've had that with Russ. Like uh-huh. before I met Russell, I was like in a pop band, deadly serious, took everything way too seriously mm. the whole time. I used to swear and he'd put his hands up to his ears. Yeah. Like I was like was at the age of 25. Oh. I was like, oh. you know, really intensely trying to do the right thing because I felt like I had to do the right thing for my record label or whatever. And um, I think those friendships are so important and mm. your friends do become family. But I love that story about Jeremy as well, this idea that you have to, even if you are super intense, you have to let yourself have happiness. And then it brought me to your song, Shiny Happy People, because it's like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> That's the, a happy the best pop song ever. We can't end on that, though. No. I, Jeremy uh, actually introduced me to Edith Sitwell. So Sitwell. that's why yeah, I know yeah, so yeah. much about the Sitwells. 
and that was that was the plants part of, and the jets. The planted Jeanettes, and that was part of my <laughs> part of my early introduction to England. So I, I knew about them coming over, and I was so excited to finally be in London, where they lived. Um, but he also, and I didn't know this when when we had our our very brief affair. I was the other man. Uh, I was really in love with him, or I thought I was at the time. But he he became this profoundly important uh, mentor to me, um, and and we were friends until his until his early death, uh, his his uh, unfortunate early death. But um, uh, Jeremy was when he lived in New York. He was uh, a drag queen named Silva Thin, who was a part of Warhol's factory, oh. and Warhol loved Silva, loved her, and but. Gerard Malenga, who was doing, or was it Gerard or Paul Morrissey? Paul Morrissey did not like her. I don't know why. I don't know what. I don't know what happened. But she never made it into any of the films. Wow. Um, for that reason. But Andy loved Silva or Jeremy as Silva. Crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Mm. So I think it's. It, no, it's not in the book, but it was in. It was in. Uh, it was in the show. Um, these uh, uh, an homage to Jeremy and his own work as an artist and as a creative person. He was a poet. He was a writer. He was a painter. Uh, he was this astonishing dancer. Um, he was this incredible force. But um, there's a there's a picture of him as Silva Thin. Oh, I'm gonna cry. Oh. Oh. oh, it's okay. A picture of him as Silva, and behind him is the word capricious. And that's where the song. That's where the. That's where the song came from. Wow, yeah. for your capricious soul. Yep. And that's a. That's a good way to end, end, it, yeah. end it. But that was the inspiration for the character that I uh, created for that song as a teenager who's coming into, into her own self. Um, oh, that's beautiful. Under some beautiful influence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so Thanks, much, Michael, my God. Michael. I didn't expect to cry today. That was beautiful. Thank you guys very much for having me. Thank you so well, much. Thank you for coming on, mate. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's been a privilege. And for everyone listening, we are going to post pictures on at TalkArt on Instagram, which Michael is no longer on, but he was briefly on Instagram mm. and did a prolific amount of posting with his amazing beard at the time <laughs> uh, with many famous oh, people. Oh, yeah, I remember that beard. I loved, no, honestly, it was the best thing. It was about a year or I something. I love my beard. How long were you on there for? Uh, well, I, I quit Instagram three times. And the, the, this third time, I read the book by Jaron Lanier, yes. um, 10 Reasons to to quit your social media now and I, I said that's it I'm done Yeah, I just don't like Facebook I don't know this I, book I, sh- I, I don't want to read this book Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't think you'll be allowed to with your movie contracts no, and all that but yeah, um, yeah I, I, I loved that Instagram account though because you, you were with all these famous people and, and then you would push off. yourself into the <laughs> frame more than them with your huge beard and I was just like this is rules yeah. and then you disappeared it was brilliant thank you so it was a that was a performance piece in itself thank you but so we'll be much. posting pictures yeah. to our Instagram at TalkArt and I'm sure people are going to pick us up on Plantinogets Plantagenets Plant, yeah, well, a, let's celebrate the idea that we can say things in many different ways. Basil, basil. Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's not right. Actually. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. Turmeric, turmeric. Exactly. Lots of love, everyone. Big we'll dreams. be back soon. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Recorded at Spiritland London by Anthony Shaw and edited by Gareth Isles. Subscribe to Talk Art on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. 
From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com